Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the episode podcast. It is Friday, February 18th, 2022. People, hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's having a great day. Hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Even before we get to today's episode, let me say this. Uh, Last episode on Wednesday, if you did not listen, big, long-form interview with Sean Miller, former head coach of the University of Arizona. Many of you have since reached out to me, and what I would say is this, actually, it's not even many of you. I would say that of everything that I have ever done on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, I have never gotten more feedback, more positive feedback, than the Sean Miller interview a few days ago. Uh, A lot of you guys and girls are Arizona fans, many of you are not, but even the ones who are not kind of reached out and said, wow, there was some stuff about his past few years, about his journey that I did not know And so because of it, I want to thank all of you for your, not only support of this show, but for your reaction, for your feedback on the Sean Miller interview. If you did not hear the Sean Miller interview, I do think it's worth going back and listening to. You don't have to be an Arizona fan. Um, You know, he's been a big part of college basketball history uh, over the last five years or so since the FBI Pro broke, and I do think you have a new perspective on him. In terms of today's show... And it's kind of sort of Sean Miller related because if you remember, I said, hey, if I was hiring a head coach this coaching cycle, uh, I would hire Sean Miller, especially after Bruce Pearl got himself a lifetime contract a few weeks ago. So why do I bring it up? It's because here's the rundown for today's episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast. We are going to open with the college basketball coaching carousel, okay? There's not a ton that has happened on the court in games that has mattered over the last couple days. And so what I figured I'd do is I'd open the show by kind of just talking about the big picture stuff that you need to go to know about the coaching carousel. What are the updates at Maryland and Louisville? What are the jobs that are going to open up? Who are the potential candidates that could get those jobs? A big, long, meaty, juicy this is getting very uncomfortable. You get the point. Segment on uh, <laughs> on the coaching carousel of college basketball. From there, we will take a quick break. We will talk. We'll do a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. It's been a while since we did where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But you guys and girls love it, so I decided to bring it back. We'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. We'll talk a little college football, and of course, the last few weeks in college basketball. And finally, we'll wrap with a little preview of the weekend ahead in college basketball. As Tennessee gets set to travel to Arkansas as Kentucky gets set to host Alabama as 
Texas will host Texas Tech. Chris Beard hosting his former team. A lot of good stuff this weekend. A lot to talk about. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And I do want to talk a little bit of college hoops. And and I want to do something a little bit different today, right? So obviously there have been games since the last time we recorded the Aerator Sports Podcast. But I don't know that there's been like mega earth-shattering results in college hoops outside of maybe realistically the North Carolina loss at home to Pitt. Uh, I will talk about that a little bit in where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong a little bit later in the show, but there really hasn't been a ton on the court that's going on. So instead, what I want to do is I want to talk about a little bit of a different subject, and that is the college basketball coaching carousel. So college football, we spent a ton of time on the coaching carousel over the course of the fall, and it was for one very simple reason. There was a ton of interest in the coaching carousel. USC opens up early. LSU opens up in the middle of October. Two premier jobs, two jobs that you know will attract elite candidates. And we just kind of sat there and said, look, if, if this is what you guys want to talk about, we'll talk about it, we'll talk about it, we'll talk about it. Basketball, the coaching carousel is just getting going. But over the next couple of weeks, it's really going to ramp up. And so a lot of you have asked me, hey, Torres, first of all, hey, what's the deal with Louisville? What's the deal with Maryland? So we're going to talk about those two jobs in a minute. But also, what are the other jobs that could open, that might open, that should open, that won't open? What is the deal? What is going on? And oh, by the way, who are the candidates? And so part of the reason I'm talking about it now, it's a little bit of a quieter Friday, first Friday post-football. But then on top of that, it's also worth noting um, that, uh, you know, when it comes to candidates... I just talked to one on this podcast a few days ago. And if you listen to the interview with Sean Miller, I'm not saying he will get a job because he is still in the middle of an NCAA investigation. But I said to him point blank, I said, coach, everybody's asking me about all these jobs. Who are the candidates? If you can, and let me put it this way. If Bruce Pearl could get a lifetime contract at Auburn, there's no reason that Sean Miller shouldn't get another head coach and I, or another head coaching job. And I do think for some of these jobs that could open, and maybe even for some that are already open, he might be a legitimate candidate. And so what I want to do, I want to rip through the jobs that are already open, the biggest jobs that could open, maybe some candidates at the end, and then we'll go to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. So let's get into the coaching carousel, and let's start with the jobs that are already open. Maryland opened uh, really two, three weeks into the season. Mark Turgeon's the head coach. Maryland takes a few losses, and Mark Turgeon's just like, I'm done. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do this job anymore. I'm taking my check, and I'm bouncing. And I don't even think he took a check. I think he just said, I quit. Keep your money. I don't want this job anymore. And so Maryland opened, and then obviously a few weeks ago, Louisville opened. And I bring it up because, to me, I think there's a very interesting parallel between what happened in football that I just talked about and what is happening in basketball right now. If you remember in football, early start to the season – USC fires Clay Helton essentially two weeks into the season. I mean, they fired him week two, middle of September, which is crazy to think about. And there's this big talk about who could get the job, James Franklin this, blah, blah, blah. And then about a month later, LSU opens, and we kind of stop talking about USC and put all of our attention to LSU. And I bring it up because as the season went on, we talked more and more LSU, less and less USC. And then a funny thing happened. The jobs were actually filled, and boom. Lincoln Riley, out of nowhere, takes the USC job. He hasn't even been linked to them. And LSU ends up getting a really good candidate in Brian Kelly. But we spent all this time talking LSU. And I think the candidate that LSU wanted, uh, USC ended up getting. 
And so I bring it up because I do see some parallels between the Maryland and Louisville situation. I'm not saying that Maryland is a better job than Louisville. I think they're kind of two different jobs, maybe in a lot of the same ways that USC and LSU are different jobs. Uh, Louisville, I think you could argue maybe one of the five best jobs in college basketball. The thing about Louisville is like Kentucky, like Kansas, like LSU football, like Alabama, Ohio State football, Louisville will give a coach anything that they need to win. A new practice facility, weights, uh, dorms, resources, travel, recruiting budget, whatever you need to win, Louisville will do it. Maryland, unfortunately, they don't quite have the budget that Louisville does, but Maryland does have one thing that few programs in college basketball have, which is maybe the best recruiting base in the country in the Maryland-Baltimore County area. I think they call it, not Maryland-Baltimore County, the DMV, uh, uh, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And so these are considered two of the best jobs. And why I see the parallel is because all of our focus right now is on Louisville. And I think Maryland is quietly behind the scenes starting to make their moves. And I think Maryland is going to end up with a really good head coach when this is all said and done. My understanding of the Maryland coaching search is that essentially Maryland is treating their job opening as if it is one of the elite jobs in college basketball, which many would say it is, right? Maryland's made multiple Final Fours. Maryland has won a national championship this century back in 2002. They have a great recruiting base. And so my understanding is Maryland is pursuing this coaching search as if they have one of the 10 best jobs in the country and that no candidate is off limits, which, by the way, I absolutely love. I think all of these big-time jobs should approach it. I don't think you should ever assume that a candidate is off the table, especially when you have as much to offer as Maryland and Louisville. I do think the one thing with Maryland that is worth keeping an eye on, financially, do they just have the resources to be able to go out and get whoever they want, right? Um, Maryland, I think the history of Maryland, if you follow their athletic department, it is well known. Uh, They just don't have the money that other schools and other programs do, and that's kind of proven and how Maryland ended up in the Big Ten in the first place. If you remember, six, seven years ago when Maryland goes to the Big Ten, why does it go to the Big Ten? It goes to the Big Ten essentially because they need the money from the, from the Big Ten TV contract. They're going to double their, their money or whatever it was. And so because of it, Maryland essentially went to the Big Ten to bail out their athletic department, which was hemorrhaging money at the time. Now, I would argue it was the wrong decision. I would argue it's hurt the athletic department more than it's helped it. But there is no doubt that those checks from the Big Ten network and from the Big Ten TV contracts are certainly helping Maryland right now. But I just don't know if Maryland can go get a head coach that makes, I don't know, three... Let me give you an example. People are talking about Andy Enfield, the USC coach, potentially as the next head coach at Maryland. You'll sit there and say, well, why is Andy Enfield a candidate? Well, Andy Enfield is from Pennsylvania. He went to college in Maryland at Johns Hopkins, and there's a belief that he wants to get back to the East Coast and do all that. Have not talked to Andy Enfield about it. He's been a friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, but I have not talked to him about it. But the reason I bring it up is that Andy Enfield reportedly makes $3 million a year. Now, it's hard to know exactly if that number is accurate, simply because of the fact that USC is a private school, we don't know the actual numbers of salary for any of these guys. But if Andy Enfield makes $3 million a year, you would think that Maryland probably has to pay four, four and a half, five million to get him to leave USC. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to pay a buyout and you're going to have to pay uh, you know, money for a coaching staff and all that good stuff. So I bring it up because I do believe that Maryland is doing its due diligence. I do believe that Maryland is pursuing candidates as though it's an elite program. I just guess the question that I have is, will they have the money? 
if it's a coach that's you know a four or five million dollar buyout and you got to pay him four or five million dollars to come do they have that kind of money I don't know but my guess is that Maryland ends up with a better coach than we're expecting because again they had a jump start it reminds me a lot of USC football that is and I believe that they're going to end up with somebody pretty good in terms of Louisville really quick Listen, the same problems that Louisville had two, three weeks ago when we last spoke about that Louisville job, I think are still there, right? Uh, first of all, I think we all know Bruce Pearl's not going to be the head coach. Signs a lifetime contract. Credit to Bruce Pearl. Signed it just two days after joining the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I don't want to say I had anything to do with it, but I can't definitively say that I didn't. But with that said, Bruce Pearl's off the table. Um, and I think it's hard to really know who realistic candidates are at Louisville, right? Interim AD. School president still in flux, and as I've said many times, it's going to be hard to convince a great coach to leave a good job without knowing who the permanent AD and the permanent school president are. With that said, though, like I said a minute ago, Louisville is one of those schools that if they have to pay a $5 million buyout and then have to pay $6 million a year for a head coach, that is something that they are willing to do. Obviously, the big names at Louisville, the ones that jump out, first of all, Kenny Payne, I still think is very much a candidate at Louisville, as he should be. Louisville alum, longtime assistant at the high major level of college basketball at first Oregon, then a long time at Kentucky. It's also worth noting, uh, he's one of the highest paid assistants in the NBA, but the New York Knicks aren't doing very well, and there's already talk that Tom Thibodeau might not survive very much longer. So to me, Kenny Payne is still the favorite. If I had to bet money on it, I would project that Kenny Payne is your next head basketball coach at Louisville. The obvious interesting name outside of Kenny Payne that keeps popping up, it is UCLA head coach Mick Cronin. And again, Mick Cronin, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, have not talked to him, don't know if he would realistically be interested in taking the job. But what I would say is, I don't think it's as crazy as people think to, in this specific case for the UCLA head coach to leave for Louisville. First of all, Mick Cronin does have a big buyout, not an issue at Louisville. I don't know that they'd pay a buyout that size. I think it's seven, eight million, something like that. But if they think they can get the right coach, they're going to go ahead and pay it. I think Mick Cronin will have support. Remember, he was a guy that coached under Rick Pitino for a very long time, or not for a very long time, but for about three or four years. I think he knows how good that Louisville job can be. And I think he would embrace the challenge of going head to head with John Calipari all the time. Beyond that, I think it's worth noting and I like Coach Cronin, so this isn't a criticism, it seems to me to be pretty clear that there are a lot of things that he's frustrated at uh, at UCLA about. Uh, just this week, he came out and complained about the Pac-12 rescheduling all these games because of COVID, and essentially they've had to play like six games in 11 days or something. He's mad about that. He was mad about not having fans in the stands a few weeks ago, which to his credit, I completely understand. He was mad about the COVID policies dating back to a year and a half ago, in the summer of 2020. Never forget, he came on the Eritrea Sports Podcast and basically said, UCLA, get our kids back on campus. They should not be at home. They need to be on campus with me. On the Eritrea Sports Podcast, he was criticizing the UCLA administration. Again, I don't think he was wrong, but I also, it seems clear to me, there's some frustrations at Louisville. And so because of it, those are the two big jobs. I do think what I'll probably end up doing I'll probably end up doing, uh, you know, maybe if you follow me on YouTube at, uh, you know, Aaron Torres on YouTube, I'll probably do individual videos more breaking down the Maryland and Louisville jobs as well as a few others. So make sure you follow there. But those are my general thoughts on the Louisville and Maryland job. Maryland, really, really, really good job. 
The question is, do they have the money to go get that big, 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 big name? And then with Louisville, um, is anybody going to come with an interim AD and an interim school president? Really quick, let's rip through some of the other jobs that I do think are definitely going to open. First of all, one that is all but a certainty. It's Georgia. It's Tom Crean. And listen, I know we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And I know I love to brag when I get all this stuff right and I never take uh, First of all, I always own when I get stuff wrong. But when Tom Crean was hired, you can go back and find the tweets. First of all, I said when Tom Crean was hired, go get this guy Steve Forbes in East Tennessee. He's really good. Steve Forbes is crushing it at Wake Forest right now. But I bring it up because when Tom Crean was hired, I just said, look, it's not going to work. He had nine or ten years at Indiana. He never built anything sustainable. I understand he inherited a tough situation, but he is not the guy. But the way that everybody at ESPN was talking about him was that he was a modern-day John Wood. I said, he's not going to work. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Well, here's what Tom Crean has done now in his fourth year at Georgia. Year one, 11-21, 13th place in the SEC. Okay, well, stuff happens, whatever. Year two, 16-16, 13th place in the SEC. Here's the problem. He had the number one pick in the draft, Anthony Edwards, that year. Not great. Last year, COVID, weird year, whatever. 14 and 12, finishes 10th in the SEC. This year, as I record, 6 and 19, 1 and 11 in last place in the SEC. I think two things immediately come to mind when it comes to Tom Crean. The first one being, um, well, three things really. One, when you have the number one pick in the draft and you finish in 13th place in the league, that's never good. Two, um, the AD has publicly come out and basically refuses to support him, right? So it's one thing, and I'll, I'll name a few guys on this list later that have had public support from their ADs that makes me feel a little bit better. Tom Crean's AD basically came out and said, like, look, we're going to evaluate everything at the end of the year. We're not making any promises, whatever. That, to me, screams a guy that's ready to move on from his head coach, and I can't really blame him. And you know what's hurting Tom Crean more than anything? I don't know that you can be Tom Crean in 2022 with the transfer portal, and I'll take it a step further. We have three teams right now that could potentially get a number one seed that all have transfers from Georgia playing big roles for their specific teams. Severe Wheeler balling out at Kentucky. Katie Johnson balling out at Auburn. Justin Kyer balling out at Arizona. You know where all three of those guys played last year? Georgia. You know where all three of those guys left last offseason? Georgia. And so to me, that's all hurting Tom Crean, and he's just he's not going to survive. In terms of the job itself, I'll say a couple things in terms of candidates and all that stuff. I'm not going to give any specific names, but what I would tell you is this. I know I just mentioned a minute ago that Maryland may have the best recruiting base in the country. The reality is in 2022, Georgia probably has the best recruiting base in the country. More players come out of Atlanta than anywhere. And because of it, I do think this job is going to be more intriguing than a lot of people believe it to be right now. I don't know who that candidate is, but I can name off the top of my head, I think two or three sitting high major head coaches that would be interested in this job if it were to open up. Not to say that they're going to get them, not to say that they would even make Georgia fans happy. I know of one sitting high major coach that I don't think Georgia fans would be happy with at all, but he would you know, crawl on his knees to take the Georgia job because the recruiting base is so good. So Georgia, Tom Crean, we can sit and song and dance and who knows, and maybe it'll work, maybe, no, Tom Crean's done, it's over, he'll be gone by the end of the year, and the only question is who comes next. The only other job that I feel very confident as of today, as of right now, and it's a little bit of a bummer, um, Georgetown and Patrick Ewing, it's over, right? And so Georgetown, first of all, it was really interesting because even last year, 
There was probably an argument that last year you could have gotten rid of Patrick Ewing. Then what happens? Goes to the Big East tournament, wins four games in four days, ends up making the NCAA tournament. Well, just one problem. This year, as I record, Georgetown now has 15 straight losses. They are 0-14 in the Big East. And so what I think is ultimately going to happen, my understanding is Patrick Ewing has you know, money saved. Obviously, he made over $100 million over the course of his NBA career. My understanding is he's invested well off of the court. He's obviously made good money as a basketball coach. And so I think he and Georgetown are going to come to some sort of parting of the ways after this season. And I think it's probably right. Um, you know, listen, he's a legend. He'll always be a legend. He will always probably, along with John Thompson, be the face of Georgetown basketball. But it just hasn't worked out. It just hasn't worked out as the head coach. Uh, you know, you look at this is now year five. Year one, he goes 15 and 15. Year two, he goes 19 and 14. And here's where the problems start. After year two, all of his best players start transferring. James Akinjo leaves after that, or shortly into the next season, transfers to Arizona and is now at Baylor playing at an All-American level. Year after, Mac McClung leaves. He goes to Texas Tech. Cutis Wahab last year after the NCAA tournament run leaves to go to Maryland. And so when you're now in year five and probably your three best players have all transferred out of the program, that's not good. And the, the shame of it is with Patrick Ewing too, I actually think he's a pretty good X's and O's coach. If you actually watch Georgetown late last year when they made that run, they were playing really good basketball the second half of the year. The problem was he never really had a real recruiting philosophy. I think you can go back to the staff that he initially hired, the staff that has been there with him, and the fact that there was never really a real recruiting philosophy um, you know, at, at any point during that stretch. And so whether it is Andy Enfield, whether it is somebody else with Northeast ties, you got to get somebody in there that knows the area, that can recruit the area, that can get players to Georgetown. Patrick Ewing, I think he and Georgetown come to some sort of mutual parting of the ways, and I don't expect him to be the head coach next year at Georgetown. A couple other jobs, and these are much more in the might open, but I'm not positive they will. Uh, let's start in the SEC. So there's three other ones outside of Georgia that I do think could very well open up. The first one is Missouri. Missouri, Quanzo Martin, weird, weird, weird five-year stretch. If you remember, he's at Cal, uh, leaves Cal, comes to Missouri, immediately signs Michael Porter Jr. Remember that name? Feels like a million years ago. Michael Porter Jr. comes to campus. He basically gets hurt the first or second week, first or second week of the season, basically doesn't play, comes back for the tournament. To Quanzo Martin's credit, I thought he did a good job kind of rallying that team. They made the NCAA tournament that year, uh, but lost in round one. Fast forward, you have two losing seasons after that. Last year, you make the NCAA tournament and lose in round one. This year, you have a losing record. And so with Quanzo Martin, when I look at his situation, we are now in year five. The guy is 76-71 and 71 overall, 14 games below 500 in the SEC. This will be his third losing season in five years with zero NCAA tournament wins. And so I know they just made the tournament last year. I do think it's hard to fully justify bringing him back. But what I would also say about Quanza Martin is this. Shout out to his agent because this guy has a $6 million buyout after this season. And so I've been basically told that essentially it's going to take one big booster that just says, you know what? I've had enough. I'm good. I'll write the check. But if not, there's a chance that he'll come back just because his buyout is crazy. And why it's crazy, shout out to his agent, like I said. My understanding is in the initial contract, um, his buyout doubled if he made the NCAA tournament in year one. 
and why that's interesting is he knew before he took the job, if I come, I'm getting Michael Porter and I'm bringing him with him. Michael Porter, of course, had been committed to Washington. Washington fires Lorenzo Romar, blah, 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 blah. We don't need to go through that history. But basically, if we make the tournament in year one, my buyout doubles. Now he has a $6 million buyout if he's fired, I believe, before May 1st of this year. Missouri will be an interesting one. You know, the SEC is an ever-evolving league, which we'll get into in these next two coaching candidates. Um, but I also think there's some history there. I think it's more Midwest than Southeast, so I think it allows you to recruit a different player than a lot of the rest of the SEC is going to recruit. And I would actually be interested, this is one, and I talked about Sean Miller a minute ago. It feels like this one kind of makes sense for Sean Miller, where it's the SEC, the stakes are high, you got to win, you got to get a coach that's going to bring credibility to your program. But Sean Miller from Pittsburgh, obviously uh, Sean Miller coached at Xavier for years, that's one that would make sense. And to be clear, don't know if Sean Miller, how realistic it is. As we discussed on, on Wednesday's show, there's an NCAA investigation that should wrap this year. But as I said, and I'll stand by it, is uh, if Bruce Pearl can get a lifetime contract and I was an AD, I would go ahead and hire Sean Miller. Might not be till next year, depending on what ends up happening with the Arizona investigation. Really quickly, staying in the SEC, uh, how about my boy Mike White? And I will tell you this. There is a small contingent of Florida basketball fans that loves me because I am the only person in America that will criticize Mike White, the basketball coach. Mike White, if you follow his track record, he of course followed Billy Donovan and I will defend Mike White in that he had a really, really, really hard job in following Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan, I don't think people realize, his last five years at Florida, Billy Donovan made four elite eights and a final four. That is freaking insane. So Mike White follows it, but also we got to call a spade a spade. This is a guy that his best season was year two with all of Billy Donovan's players, goes 27-9, and makes the Elite Eight. That year they lose to South Carolina. Since then, these are now the last five years under Mike White. 21-13, and 11-7 in the SEC. 2019, 20-16, 9-9 in the SEC. 2020, 19-12, 11-7 in the SEC. Last year, 15 and 10, 9 and 7 in the SEC. So essentially, since year two, over the last five years, and I should mention they're now 16 and 10, 6 and 7 in the SEC this season. And when you look at his resume, they haven't finished better in the last five years than 21 and they haven't won more than 21 games. They haven't finished better than 11 and 7 in the SEC. So they've basically been essentially a 500 team in the SEC over the last five years. And what's frustrating for Florida fans is there's just these weird, bizarre losses. Earlier in the year, he loses to Texas Southern. Earlier this year, he loses to Ole Miss, who just isn't a very good basketball team right now. And so because of it, um, you know, I, I think patience is wearing thin. Now, what I would say about Mike White, there is still time for him in Florida to make a run. Uh, the, the, the Gators, as I said, are currently, as I record here, 16-10, and 6-7 and seven in the SEC. They still got some big games left on the resume. They still got Auburn at home, Arkansas at home, Kentucky at home. I mean, you take two out of three, you're going to the NCAA tournament. I just don't think there's any reason to believe that they're going to take two out of three. My understanding is that Kentucky, uh, that Kentucky, that Florida fans are officially frustrated, that Florida fans have officially had enough. Um, my understanding is, and, and my understanding is what I just said about Missouri, is that the boosters, you know, with Missouri, it's is there a booster that's willing to write that check? I do think the boosters are finally there because this is a program that has stagnated. It's not the same as it once was. 
And I think if he misses the NCAA tournament, that he is out. Uh, he is a guy, by the way, I think that I could see him trying to leave Florida for another job if he does not get fired. Almost like how Shaka Smart, quote unquote, left Texas for Marquette last year. Shaka Smart didn't leave Texas for Marquette. If he didn't find another job, he was getting let go at Texas one way or the other. Uh, so I could see Mike White trying to get somewhere else. Where, I don't know. Where that would make sense, I have no idea. But if he goes, it'll be really interesting to see what Florida does. Because Florida, again, at one point was one of the better jobs in the SEC. But with the way Auburn's rolling, with the way that Arkansas's rolling, with the way that Tennessee's rolling, the fact that Bama, yeah, they're up and down this year, but they're playing really good basketball. I don't know what kind of candidate Florida can get realistically. Andy Enfield, I think, would be a candidate there as well if they were willing to pay. Uh, Andy Enfield, of course, coached at Florida Gulf Coast. But my understanding is the boosters have had enough. If he doesn't make the tournament, he's out. Last one in the SEC really quick, and segment's going long. Surprise, surprise. Um, real quick, I would say this about uh, a final SEC program. Uh, South Carolina. South Carolina is another one I, I think it's pretty safe to say is going to open up. Frank Martin, this is one of the most mind-boggling stats you will ever hear in sports. Frank Martin is now in year 10 at South Carolina. During those 10 years, Frank Martin has a grand total of one NCAA tournament berth at South Carolina. That one NCAA tournament berth, when South Carolina made the Final Four in 2017. What are we doing here, people? South Carolina, one NCAA tournament under Frank Martin, they make a Final Four. My understanding is that last year, Frank Martin almost lost his job because of COVID, because of whatever they decided to give him one more year, and it's just not working out. Uh, as I said, this is year 10. It will be uh, one NCAA tournament after this season, barring a shocking run. As I record here, they are currently 15 and 10, six and seven in the SEC. It's not happening. And I, and I could see the scenario, Frank Martin's 55 years old. He'll be 56 in March. I could see the scenario where he just retires. Um, you know, he did have COVID multiple times. Uh, it did really impact him. If you see him now, he's lost a lot of hair. He's lost a lot of this. It, it took its toll. My understanding is that he could probably leave South Carolina and probably ultimately end up just retiring, doing something else. Uh, or maybe he's another one that takes a small school job, just decides he doesn't want to do this anymore. I think South Carolina would open up as well. Really quickly going across the rest of the country. Um, you know, the ACC is really interesting. NC State, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Kevin Keats. Things are not going well at NC State right now. <laughs> when I, and when I say not well, uh, they are currently... Uh, in 14th place out of a 15-team uh, ACC, 11-16 and 16 overall, 4-12 and 12 in the ACC. But a couple things with Kevin Keats. First of all, his record is probably a little bit better than people realize. Year one, he made the NCAA tournament. Year two, they were actually literally the first team out of the NCAA tournament. And year three was his COVID year. They were on the bubble and were potentially going to play their way into the NCAA tournament before the tournament was canceled. Last year, in a COVID year, winning record. So even though this year the team is struggling, this is his fifth year, four winning records, easily could have three. He's like literally a game or two away from having three NCAA tournament bids in five years. He only has one. I'm not making excuses for him. But what I would also say with Kevin Keats, they've dealt with all sorts of injuries. At one point, they had five rotation players that were expected to be a big part of this team that were out. All of them big guys, so they're essentially playing with, with five guards at all times. I think Kevin Keats gets another year. The AD has come out in support of him. Another guy in the, the ACC that I do think is going to get another year is Jeff Capel. Uh, Jeff Capel, of course, the longtime Duke assistant, came to Pitt. It hasn't been good, um, and he's kind of got that Patrick Ewing, all his best players transferred out. 
Trey McGowan's is now at uh, is now at Nebraska. Audie's Tony is at Arkansas. Xavier Johnson is at Indiana. And right now we're looking at Jeff Capel, 14 and 19 year one, 16 and 17 in year two, 10 and 12 in year three, 11 and 16 this year. But it is worth noting, one, just one at the Dean Dome, two, beat Louisville a few weeks ago, the game that essentially cost Chris Mack his job. And so I bring all of it up to say, my understanding is he's going to get another year. The AD has come out in support of him. The AD has come out and said that this is a process. It's going to take time. Now, it's worth noting, this is the AD that both hired him and then gave him an extension. So maybe she is trying to cover her own butt by essentially saying that his job is safe. So that is one to keep an eye on. But I do believe that Pitt and NC State, although both coaches are struggling, they will be given at least one more year. Of course, in the ACC, Louisville is open as well. Uh, So that's probably Louisville, realistically, the only job that I expect to open. Georgia Tech is struggling, but Josh Passner just made the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, Clemson, they actually gave an extension to their coach, Brad Brownell, recently. Miami, there had been some talk that Jim Laranaga might retire, uh, but uh, he's going to make the tournament this year, so I expect that he stays. And it's also worth noting, oh, by the way, there's one other job that will open up in the ACC. That is Duke, which is already being filled by John Shire. Really quickly, Big East, Georgetown's the only one that really comes to mind. Butler is struggling. But Butler's interesting because uh, they're coached by Laval Jordan, who is an alum, um, made the tournament in year one, would have made it in a COVID year. My guess is that they give him at least one more year after this year because he is an alum. The other interesting thing to watch out in the Big East is the idea that one of these big jobs might be filled by a Big East coach, right? Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. Could he potentially take the Maryland job? Didn't talk about him. Ed Cooley at Providence. Could he potentially be interested in the Maryland job? Didn't talk about him. So that's something to keep an eye on in the Big East is could one of those jobs open if one of those coaches takes another job? Also, a little rumor that's been floating around, Tulsa is going to fire Frank Haith Mike Anderson, the St. John's coach, I would not be surprised if he was interested in that job. Uh, I'm hearing that he does want that job and that he would leave St. John's that could potentially open up. Really quickly, a couple other ones. First of all, Northwestern, Chris Collins has not worked out. I don't expect him to be back. Um, You know, this is a guy that essentially, uh, you know, made the school's first NCAA tournament. And then since then, it's completely bottomed out after that 2017 bid. Does have a fully guaranteed contract through 2025. So realistically, he might be able to survive one or two more years. I wouldn't be surprised if he was gone. Then the real interesting one is Nebraska, right? And what I would say about Nebraska really quick is that this is further proof, along with Chris Mack, that no job is just 100% certain. No job, no candidate is just 100% everything's going to work out. Because think about when Fred Hoiberg got the Nebraska job. And you probably, many of you probably forgot that Fred Hoiberg is the Nebraska coach. But Chris Mack one year was the most reliable candidate, as good of a candidate as Louisville could have gotten. Fred Hoiberg, when he became available after coaching in the NBA, there were multiple schools that wanted him. UCLA wanted him. Some of the other jobs that opened up that year wanted him. He chose Nebraska. Nebraska is an absolute disaster under Fred Hoiberg. And I don't think it's getting better anytime soon. And so when I look at the situation with with Nebraska, the thing that's worth noting there, uh, they're currently in 14th place. They finished in 14th place the last two years. And I just wonder if this guy played in the NBA, coached in the NBA, got a huge buyout from the NBA, does this guy want to coach anymore? He's got like an $18 million buyout after this year. 
I just wonder if he maybe decides, you know what, uh, I'm willing to take some, uh, you know, a reduced buyout just to get out of this contract. I don't want to be here anymore. Maybe he goes back to the NBA in a front office role. Maybe he does something else. Uh, I, I don't know if Fred Hoiberg wants to be there anymore, and there's already scuttlebutt that that job could open up, uh, and it'll be worth following there. Really outside of the Pac-12, that's it. What I would just say really quickly in the Pac-12, one, Arizona State, Bobby Hurley, my understanding is he's got another year. They got a whole situation going on with football right now with Herm Edwards that has to be figured out before they start worrying about basketball. It's also worth noting, by the way, you can look this up. Bobby Hurley and the AD had a very public back and forth. A booster allegedly said something to Bobby Hurley's wife. Bobby Hurley took offense to it. And so I bring it up because those two do not get along. But if you read the details of that, which you can Google, there's a possibility that you can't really fire Bob Hurley because it could look pretty bad for the school. So I think Bobby Hurley gets another year. The question with Bobby Hurley, would he be interested if one of those East Coast jobs opened up? Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall. If one of those jobs were to open, could Bobby Hurley go back East and take one of those jobs opening up Arizona State? Washington, uh, Mike Hopkins has not worked out well, but I think he gets another year. Cal has not worked out with Mark Fox, but I do think he gets another year as well. All right, this is what I want to do. That was a long segment. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back. And then what I want to do is do a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And from there, we will wrap kind of previewing the weekend that is coming in college basketball. Really fun weekend ahead. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to wrap the show. And I do want to get out of here with something that is quickly becoming America's favorite podcast segment. That's a little something where we call where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And if you've never listened to the show before, the concept of the segment is pretty straightforward. We do it a ton during football season, but other stuff has popped up over the last couple weeks, so I don't think we've done it really since the college football national championship game. But the concept of the segment is very straightforward and very simple. Stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does it on his show. I've been on his show. I thought it was really a great concept that I wanted to bring to this show. And it's where I go about and basically spend the next few minutes talking about some of the things that I absolutely got right over the last couple weeks and a lot of the stuff I got wrong. Nobody likes to pat themselves on the back more than I do when I get stuff right. But here's the thing. I get a lot of stuff wrong too, and it's time to own it. So with that said... Here is today's edition of Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong. Where Aaron Was Right. Remember about, I don't know, two months ago, Odell Beckham was traded to the Rams while I was on air? And I said, I don't know if this is going to work, but I love it. I love the Rams pushing all the chips in the middle in pursuit of a Super Bowl championship this year with the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. Then after the NFC Championship game, what did I say? I love that they did this. I love that they traded multiple first-round picks for Matthew Stafford, believing that they were a quarterback away. I love that they supplemented him with Odell Beckham, which I just talked about. I love that they supplemented him with Vaughn Miller, which I haven't talked about, obviously. And I just love this idea of what the Rams are doing. And so where Aaron was right, I I don't know. Look, I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl last week once we knew what the, the, the matchup was. But where Aaron was right was the idea that when you believe you have a window in sports, you have to go for it. You have to push all your chips in the middle. Something that I have never understood throughout my time as a sports fan is especially in the NFL, when you have a contending team, why teams hold on to draft picks for dear life like they're worth their weight in gold. 
The bottom line is that most, what is it, half of all draft picks, and first round picks end up being busts. Not all of them work out. You never know. There's top five, top 10 picks that simply aren't all that good. And not all of it is on the franchise. Sometimes guys just don't work out as planned. And so in my opinion, if you can get established guys that have proven themselves in the league and all you got to give up is draft picks, you go ahead and do it. Because in my opinion, there is no such thing as a Super Bowl window or a championship window. If you have a chance to win it, go for it now. I use so many examples, but think about the example I use all the time. The Oklahoma City Thunder, a decade ago, they make the 2012 NBA Finals Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, all under the age of 23-24. And we think, oh my goodness, they have all this stuff. They're going to own the Western Conference for the next decade. Well, a decade's passed. Kevin Durant is on his second team since the, goal, uh, since the Oklahoma City Thunder. James Harden is on his third team since the Thunder. Russell Westbrook is on his third or fourth team. And the Thunder have never been back to the NBA Finals. In sports, there are no guarantees. In sports, there are no promises. And in sports, the windows close faster than you can ever imagine. And so when you have a chance, you absolutely go for it and you absolutely push all your chips in the middle. I know I've used that analogy three, four, five times already, but I truly believe it. I love what the Rams did, whether it worked out or not. I love them going for it because there's no guarantees that you'll be back next year. Where Aaron was wrong. If you remember... Uh, I actually attended a Rams game back in September. And ironically, it was around the time that USC football fired Clay Helton. And I said at that time, USC football, you better get this coaching hire right because if you don't, if you don't, the Rams have a bigger following and a bigger fan base in Los Angeles than I realized. And there's a chance that you could lose a big portion of the football fan base in Los Angeles if you don't get this higher right USC. Well, USC got the higher right, but this isn't really about USC. It's about the Rams because I said the fan base is here. They've arrived. They care. They love this team. I, yeah, I think I was wrong. Did you see the videos and highlights of that Super Bowl parade, okay? Outside of Matthew Stafford watching a poor woman fall on her face and sending his wife to clean up the mess, uh, one thing that stood out was there weren't that many people there. Now, I know depending on what angle, it looks like more, it looks like this, it looks like that. But I will say is that I thought that the, Ram base, the Rams fan base, when I was at the game, I thought there were more people engaged and interested in Rams football than I realized. But at the same time, when I watched the Super Bowl parade, when I watched the fact that there were probably more Bengals fans in the stands on Sunday than Rams fans, I realized that the Rams have a long way to go to ca capturing the people of Los Angeles, even after winning a Super Bowl. They're behind the Lakers in the L.A. sports scene. They're behind the Dodgers. And I'll tell you this, with USC football now having Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, I'm starting to wonder if even they could catch USC football. Where Aaron was right. Jim Harbaugh got an extension on Wednesday. But the story to me and where Aaron was right was, I told you three weeks ago, this guy clearly wanted to go to the NFL. And I'm pretty sure that has been proven out here over the last six weeks or so. Obviously, the first rumor starts right after the college football playoff run. Oh, he could be interested. The, the, the Raiders could be interested in him, and the Bears could be interested in him. Well, neither team was. So you know what happened? Jim Harbaugh personally reached out to the Minnesota Vikings and said, hey, you know who'd be a good candidate for your job? Me. Let me come interview. Then he goes to Minnesota. There is a belief within the building that if he is offered the job, he will accept it. 
And only after he leaves the Minnesota Vikings facility without an offer in hand and very clearly the number two candidate behind Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell does he kind of go hat in hand back to Michigan and say, okay, I'm ready to be your football coach. So I know he has a new extension. I know that extension has a reasonably big buyout if he wants to go back to the NFL. It's about $3 million, $4 million, something like that. But to me, it is so clear that Jim Harbaugh was desperately trying to get back to the NFL, desperately trying to add a Super Bowl victory as a head coach to his resume. It just didn't happen, and I got to be honest. A soon-to-be 59-year-old quarter, uh, a 59-year-old head coach in an era where we're, where we're going young, super dynamic, super offensive background, Jim Harbaugh's time in the NFL might be done, but it is very clear that he wanted to be back, just like I told you probably about four or five weeks ago, where Aaron was wrong. If you listen to last Friday's episode, I talked a lot about Brian Harson, What's going on? What's the deal at Auburn? All that good stuff. And I wrapped and concluded the segment by saying, this is absolute chaos, and there is no way they can bring him back at this point. Now, I said they might have to pay an $18 million buyout, but how can you bring back this coach after a big after at least a portion of the fan base? I don't want to kind of put all the fan base together under one umbrella, but at least a portion of the fan base made it clear that they do not want him back. Well, what did Auburn decide to do? Huh? Can't pay that $18 million buyout. So you know what, Brian Arson? Come back. Open arms. Let's make this thing work. Listen, I don't know if it can work. I don't think it can work. And I wonder what is even the point of bringing back Brian Harson. Now, I don't, I don't wish ill will on him. I feel bad about the way things were handled. But I think when he goes on the road recruiting these next couple months and he starts having the spring he starts doing all the things that a football coach does, I think it's going to be really hard for him to sell this Auburn program to recruits. Maybe he has some more success in the transfer portal with short-term answers. I don't know how you recruit players to Auburn right now when it's clear that part of the fan base wanted you gone, that you're on thin ice, that you're already on the hot seat. And so I was wrong about Brian Harson coming back. But I'll just tell you straight up, um, it is going to be a weird, weird, bizarre situation navigating kind of the whole Brian Harson deal at uh, the whole Brian Harson deal at Auburn, where Aaron was right. Remember about three weeks ago when we really started getting into college basketball on this podcast, and I told you, I said, look, I don't know if Hubert Davis was the right coach. I don't know if Hubert Davis was the wrong coach for North Carolina. But what I do know is North Carolina made an egregious mistake when Roy Williams retired last year on April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2021. North Carolina made an egregious mistake not doing a national coaching search. And I always use the John Calipari reference, but I've told the story a million times. For my book, One in Fun, I interviewed John Calipari. And when I did, I asked Coach Calipari, you had things rolling at Memphis you're making the Elite Eight essentially every year. You make a Final Four. You play for a national championship. Why did you leave Memphis? And he said, Aaron, it's because when Kentucky calls, you don't say no. And so I bring it back to North Carolina because I said it in the spring, and I said it a few weeks ago when North Carolina got destroyed by Wake Forest. I said, North Carolina, I don't know who that coach was, but there was somebody out there, some big name, that if you put the right amount of money on the table – would have taken this job. No different, by the way, than the way that Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC, than the way that Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU. There was somebody out there 
whose dream it was to be the North Carolina head coach, and if it wasn't the dream, if you gave him the right amount of money, you could have gotten your guy. So why do I bring it all up? It is because on Wednesday night, North Carolina at home lost to Pitt, which entered the game at 10-16 and 16 overall, 5-10 and 10 in the conference. Pitt walks into the Dean Dome and walks out with a win. Again, this isn't a teardown Hubert Davis kind of segment. But what it is, is the reality that when you are one of the two or three biggest brands in the sport and you have the time to conduct a real interview, a real interview process, this isn't Notre Dame losing Brian Kelly in the middle of November or the middle of December, excuse me, with no plan. This isn't Oregon losing Mario Cristobal in middle of December with no plan. This is very much a school that had time to go out and get it right, and Hubert Davis would have been there in the end. Now, North Carolina's 18-8. and eight. As of right now, I'm just telling you, they are not going to make the NCAA tournament. They have zero quad one wins as I record here. Quad one are the most important wins in terms of the NCAA selection committee. And what I'll also say about Hubert Davis, where you have to be concerned, where you absolutely have to be concerned, is that this is probably the best roster that Hubert Davis will ever have. Brought back five of the top seven scorers off last year's team. Armando Baycott was a double-double machine. Caleb Love was a McDonald's All-American who played well as a freshman. They have all regressed. They have all gotten worse. And so I'm just telling you, this is probably the most realistically the most talented roster that Hubert Davis is going to have for a while. They're 18-8. and They're going to miss the NCAA tournament. And I think North Carolina made a grave mistake not going after a more established head coach. Where Aaron was wrong, uh, really quickly, one NBA story, story I haven't really talked about, but if you follow me on social media, you know I've been very outspoken about it. I did not believe that somebody would make a move for Ben Simmons in the NBA, nor did I think they should. And let me just say this, I was wrong because obviously the Philadelphia 76ers were able to find a trade partner, essentially Ben Simmons for James Harden, but at the same time, let me also say, just so disappointed in the coverage of this by the national media. Uh, for weeks and months, we crushed Ben Simmons, fairly so, for using mental health as an excuse to get out of Philadelphia. He does one press conference and everybody's, oh my God, we can't speak about mental health. Well, let me say this about mental health. And many of you guys and girls have heard me say this before. Mental health is very serious. I do not take it lightly. My sister works in mental health. My wife works in mental health. My sister-in-law works in mental health. This is not a joke. But Ben Simmons, if mental health was the issue, he did not make it clear. And there is no action that he took that made it clear that mental health was the real reason he wanted out of Philadelphia. Remember, things go bad in the playoffs. He takes real criticism from Doc Rivers and his teammates. Demands a trade over the summer. Then, no mention of mental health. Is docked pay, not allowed back, finally realizes, wait a second, now I've already lost a million dollars in salary, I gotta get my butt to the facility, comes to the facility, first day there, on the phone, during practice, immediately gets thrown out of practice, the teammates have no sympathy for him, then he goes to the doctors and says, uh, yeah, I have a back problem, doctors clear him, and only then did he use mental health as a crutch. I'm not saying mental health isn't serious, it is serious. It is a very important thing that needs to be discussed. But what I was disappointed in was most of the national media refused to acknowledge this guy appears to have fake mental health to get out. I'm surprised I was wrong that Ben Simmons um, was actually traded. Finally, a little bit of a bonus where Aaron was wrong, only because I talked about it on last episode. 
But I was wrong in a lot of my early coverage of the Arizona scandal as it pertained to Sean Miller. If you missed last episode, Sean Miller, Arizona head coach, about a 45-minute sit-down. But one of the things that has been proven not to be true was an ESPN report that said that Sean Miller was paying DeAndre Ayton to come to the University of Arizona. That was disproven in a court of law. Christian Dawkins, Christian Dawkins, the guy at the center of all this, said under oath that he had never had any conversations with Sean Miller to do with DeAndre Ayton. And if you listen to this show, I've talked about it so much, I don't want to get into it again. But when the story first broke, like everybody else, I assumed the worst. I assumed that Sean Miller was guilty, and I assumed that Sean Miller was out as Arizona's head coach. Fast forward, it turns out I was wrong. I told Coach Miller as much on Thursday, on Wednesday's episode, and we talked a lot about a lot of different things. So if you missed that one, uh, go back and listen to it. Really fun interview with Sean Miller. But like so many different people, I was dead wrong in my coverage of Sean Miller and the Arizona Wildcats. All right, before we get out of here, uh, do very quickly. Just want to kind of preview the weekend that is coming in college basketball because it is crazy, man. I mean, it, we just went from football, 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 football to like waking up one day and we're like, oh my God, it is the middle of February. Obviously, Monday was Valentine's Day. Hope everybody ran out and got flowers for your boyfriend, for your girlfriend, for whoever. Thanks to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast first thing in the morning. But we're now, I mean, this is the second to last weekend in February. Obviously, next week is the last week in February. And then from there, things really start to ramp up. Conference championship games, NCAA tournament, Final Four in New Orleans. And so it's a really fun time of year. And what's really especially fun, and I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday's show, is that this is kind of the time of year where you start to know what games really matter, right? You start to know what matters for seeding, for conference championships, with national championship implications. You start to know who's good, but they're not really that good. Who, what, what does it all mean? And so what I want to do, I just want to kind of rip through a couple of the games from this weekend. Uh, I'm going to go kind of out of order just based on games that are of interest to me. And let me start with one that I think really over the last like week to 10 days has gotten much, much, much more interesting. 4 o'clock Eastern, ESPN, Tennessee at Arkansas. Two teams that I've talked about a ton over the last couple weeks. And two teams that I would argue are playing as well as anybody, not only in the SEC, but maybe all of college basketball. Tennessee has won eight straight SEC games, eight of nine games overall. Their only loss, a one-point loss at Texas. Rick Barnes returned to Austin. Arkansas has won 9 of 10. They're only lost by one point last weekend at Alabama. So these two teams are playing really well. Really excited to see them play. And I'll say a couple things. One, there are real SEC title implications at stake here. Uh, Tennessee is two games back of Auburn. But Tennessee still has Auburn on the schedule. They still host Auburn uh, next week. And so I bring it up because if they win this game, they are in position to potentially catch Auburn. They would need some help, but they could still potentially catch Auburn. But that is if they win at Bud Walton. And what I would say from Arkansas's perspective, Arkansas still has some tough games left on the schedule as well. They still host Tennessee this weekend. They host Kentucky, they host LSU, and then play at Tennessee and at Florida to close the season. So you're talking about five games against potential NCAA tournament teams, four games against teams that are definitively in the NCAA tournament. And what I would just say in terms of a, a, a matchup, it's really interesting because I think the matchup itself favors Tennessee. 
Tennessee's a little bit bigger, more physical in the paint, a better rebounding team. Both are very good defensively, but also we've seen what Bud Walton can do on a crazy night. We saw what it did to Auburn a few weeks ago. Uh, they've had success basically since Eric Musselman has got there. And so because of it, uh, no strong lean. I think Tennessee, probably the matchup favors them a little bit more. Arkansas at home can't undersell that. With that said, let's get to the early portion of the day. Let's just rip through a couple games. I'll tell you this. You talk about a fun one in, uh, you know, in the Big 12. So we obviously had a few weeks ago that Texas-Texas Tech game. Chris Beard goes to Texas Tech for the first time as the Texas head coach. Well, now we have the return game. But if you remember, even before the first game, when Texas put tickets on sale for this game, in other words, the game is Texas Tech at Texas, Texas Tech playing its former head coach in his building. When they put tickets on sale, Texas Tech fans were gobbling them up. So I have no idea what to make of what this atmosphere could be like. What I will say, though, I mentioned it on Twitter the other day. I think Texas Tech, Mark Adams, probably your national coach of the year. Kind of an incredible story. Uh, Texas Tech right now is 20-6 and six overall, 9-4 and four in the Big 12. But check this out. They already have a season sweep of Baylor. Beat them at Baylor, won at home against Baylor. They beat Kansas in Lubbock. Easily could have beaten Kansas in Lawrence a few weeks ago. Ochai Abaji hits a three basically at the buzzer to force double overtime in a game that Kansas ultimately wins. And so I bring it up because I think Mark Adams, who replaced Chris Beard, who was Chris Beard's assistant for a long time, I think he's got this team playing as well as anybody. Texas, I'll say this, uh, one of their key players, Trey Mitchell, just left the program for personal reasons. Something to keep an eye on going forward. I would lean Texas Tech in that one. Also on Saturday, another matchup of top 25 opponents, uh, Kentucky hosting Alabama. Let me just say this. We got some Bama fans that listen to this show. Everybody knows I love Nate Oates. Think the world of him. Think he's one of the bright young coaches in basketball. I can't figure out this team. I don't think he can figure out this team. Nate Oates and Alabama easily could have lost on Wednesday night to Mississippi State. They barely survive. Now they're going to Rupp Arena. Obviously, the big story from Kentucky's perspective, are they at full strength? What's the deal with Ty Ty Washington? But even with that said, I am going to take Kentucky at home. Kentucky just went to Coleman Coliseum a few weeks ago, did something that Baylor couldn't do earlier in the season, that Houston couldn't do earlier in the season, that Arkansas couldn't do last weekend, and that is beat Alabama at Alabama. Now they return to Rupp Arena, and I think coming off a loss, we're going to see the best version of Kentucky that we've seen in a long time. Alabama at Kentucky, I do like Kentucky. Just quickly looking at the rest of the slate in college basketball on Saturday, really not a ton. I mean, the Oregon-Arizona game, I just mentioned Sean Miller a minute ago, uh, should be a fascinating watch there as that is a nine or that's a 10 o'clock Eastern time tip-off. And I'll tell you this, very interesting game just from the perspective that for people who do not know the history, I just mentioned it a minute ago and where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, I, I completely whiffed on some of my early coverage of Arizona. Well, another guy who did as well, Jay Billis, and another guy who did not apologize, unlike me, I do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Jay Billis has never apologized, never walked back anything that he said about Sean Miller. And I'll tell you this, I think the Arizona fans are going to be hostile. I think they're going to be angry. I don't know if Jay Billis is staying for the call, but he will be there for college game day. And I think it's going to be a really, really, really intense environment. I suggest if you're up for college game day, tune in to see what the fans have to say about Jay Billis. They are not very happy with him in terms of the on-the-court stuff. I like Arizona. I really do. You know, it's at the end of the day, Oregon, I've watched them. 
nothing really about Oregon stands out to me. There's nothing that's super impressive with them. Arizona, I'm getting, I'm recording here right as they get set to play Oregon State on Thursday night. Always a possibility that they could struggle in that game. I don't foresee that happening. And so because of it, I do like Arizona. Uh, I'm just trying to look very quickly at some other games. Michigan State on Saturday. They will be heading to Illinois, if I'm reading this correctly. Illinois goes to Michigan State. Michigan State's struggling, man. I, you know, I don't know what to make of Michigan State. I just don't think they're very good. They've lost three of their last four. That includes a loss at home to Wisconsin, their last two road games at Rutgers and Penn State. Illinois, on the other hand, has taken a few losses here over the last couple weeks as well, most notably on Wednesday night um, at Rutgers. So for Illinois, big bounce back opportunity, good chance to pick up a big win. Don't like Michigan State, lean Illinois on that one. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the show, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Monday with a new episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.